Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me. It's the 12th of September, Thursday afternoon. Let's do this. And we had an exciting weekend of racing. The Italian Grand Prix ended up being a cracker. Um, That was pretty much it, actually. Um, Great weekend for Formula One. Great for Ferrari as well. Now being on the board... And let's talk about it. Let's get straight into it. So, you know, after the breakthrough win at Spa for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari in 2019, they backed it up with a equally as good, if not better, performance in, in Italy, in Monza, the home of Ferrari. And I guess they came into the weekend with expectation to, to do well. And I said, leading into the mid-season break, and on the other side of the break, that if, you know, given the car that Ferrari has this year with the emphasis on more power, less downforce, these are the two races, if they're going to win any race all year, that these are the two races that they've got to win. And it's good to see that they went two from two. Um, next time out in Singapore, that'll probably be a litmus test for them as well. But we'll get to that um, bridge when um, it comes up. But what we saw there Charles Leclerc starting from pole position again so that's two from two in two races and yeah just um first Ferrari driver to win at Monza since Fernando Alonso back in 2010 um what a drought that it was and in the hybrid era too as I said in the preview last week Mercedes have just been incredibly dominant here it's been a one-two for Mercedes almost every year I think um only maybe a couple of years they missed out on but they've been really strong here and you know those images of the race last year where the formation finish for the two Mercedes would have really stung Ferrari and you know given that this year has been pretty diabolical in the sense of the championship and then Sebastian Vettel his own form as seen in Monza again just he's basically a shadow of his former self Um, for Charles Leclerc to be that you know little beacon of hope for Ferrari and also just going into the future is he the go-to man now there he's won the two races for them this season almost like uh, a copy or a mirror image of 2014 at Red Bull when um, Daniel Ricciardo rocked up and um, really shook the boat with Sebastian Vettel and we all know what happened to Vettel at the end of that year he decided to leave Red Bull and go to Ferrari so yeah Leclerc victory and you know last weekend out um, or the weekend before sorry I should say in Spa would have been more you know more about you know racing for his great friend Antoine Hubert who was um, laid to rest yesterday um, as well in France in his hometown Um, you know with the emotion of his death on everyone over the weekend I guess you know this time out in Monza the win for Leclerc he could I guess celebrated a bit more whereas back in Spa it was a bit more subdued so great for him great for the Tifosi great for Ferrari as well but the race itself another great race we've had all these great races since the Austrian Grand Prix um, before the mid-season break and this one was no different it was Lewis Hamilton versus Charles Leclerc for most of the race Valtteri Bottas chipped in as well towards the end of the race but I guess the eyes were on Hamilton and Leclerc and both drivers one-stop strategy Lewis Hamilton though trying the undercut went on to the medium tyre and Leclerc was on the hard tyre so diverging strategies from the two teams of course Ferrari thinking that if they put him on the hard tyre that 
he'll go the distance there won't be any need to to stop again or even just a risk of the tires going off and him losing that position and as i said previously medium tires and ferrari during the race doesn't seem to go very well together and we saw you know even last time out in belgium that the same strategy occurred and um, Hamilton really came back at Leclerc at the end of the race, but if it wasn't for Ferrari's straight line speed advantage, I think, you know, Hamilton would have passed him. So at least this time they had the security of the hard tyres. Didn't stop Hamilton, though, from having a go, and that was, I guess, where the, um, you know, controversy or whatever you want to call it, or, you know, I think it's racing on the limit, right on the limit, <laughs> is um, when... You know, Leclerc squeezed Hamilton at the second chicane, so Hamilton trying to go pass around the outside. Leclerc just totally blocks him off and almost puts him into the grass, but that wasn't the case. Race director, the stewards, they showed Leclerc a black and white flag, which is basically the equivalent of a, um, a yellow card, so like a warning card almost, that if you do that again, then there will be trouble so um, basically a slap on the wrist for Leclerc good to see though that the stewards a bit more lenient with these battles I guess you know um, Leclerc himself after the Austrian Grand Prix when Verstappen pulled a similar move on him and put him on the asphalt on the off off the track you know um, Leclerc said he's going to change his way that he approaches these races now when he's racing wheel to wheel with someone else and I guess he put um, his elbows out there with Hamilton which was good to see, and Hamilton then, I guess, obviously not happy because it cost him the win, saying that after the race he's going to change his philosophy now when he attacks Leclerc, so, but at the same time, Hamilton, he said not even, you know, not even a week ago that he totally sees himself battling Leclerc for some time, Leclerc and Verstappen, they're the future, so, you know, this is how Leclerc wants to play, there's nothing completely wrong with it so Hamilton's just going to have to find another um, another way of getting back up at uh, the Ferrari driver so yeah that was the only questionable conduct I guess in that race questionable not actually illegal or um, immoral in any way um, but it gave us a great spectacle what can I say um, Leclerc versus Hamilton it's kind of what you wanted to see all year, isn't it, with Vettel and Hamilton, but we haven't. So um, Hamilton and Mercedes, they can question Leclerc's standard, driving standards all they want, but um, it's not going to take away the fact that it was actually one of Hamilton's own mistakes that cost him any chance of um, attacking the Ferrari in the dome stages of the race. So mistake for Hamilton on lap 42 going into the first chicane locks up um, loses a bunch of ground and then eventually because he's run out of tires um, he's got to concede p2 to to Bottas who at that point was running a pretty lonely race and Bottas pitted like seven or eight laps after the other two did and basically had fresher tires at the end to attack with but he couldn't do anything that Hamilton couldn't do um, that Hamilton did to Leclerc so um, Bottas had to hang in there and just take P2. Hamilton made an extra pit stop, was able to set the fastest lap, but also didn't lose his spot on the podium. So third for him. Um, Bottas also locking up at the first chicane, so pretty much guaranteeing the the win for Ferrari. And yeah, your top three, everyone really happy. And I guess apart from Hamilton, who still feels a bit aggrieved about what happened at that second chicane but you know that's racing that's what we want to see
For Sebastian Vettel, um, already hinted at it before, it was a disaster of a race, again, second year in a row where at Monza things didn't really go his way, and, um, you know, it started from qualifying, I guess, and I'm going to talk a bit about qualifying on its own later, but um, he was unable to get the slipstream or the toe from Leclerc in Q3, so... He didn't even start in the top three. He was fourth, and then a poor start basically compromised the first part of his race, and then until he ended up um, having a spin all on his own, you know, one of those spins again where he doesn't even make contact with anyone or um, is in the vicinity of anyone. He just spins the car around. This happened at the Ascari chicane, and as a result, he joined the rejoined the track in an unsafe manner because... He just went into the path of Lance Stroll, actually. Lance Stroll coming towards him, takes Stroll off, who ends up doing the same thing as well because he's got no choice to rejoin the track in the same way. And poor Pierre Gasly arrives on the scene only to be hit by Stroll. So Seb, who instigated it all, copped a 10-second stop-and-go penalty, which was probably the harshest penalty he could have got in that um, in, in that incident. But also, Lance Stroll ended up having to take a bit of a penalty as well, unfortunately, which compromised his race. Though, Stroll did come back and finish in the points, I believe. So, you know, for him to do that, that was a good result. Um, but for Vettel, yeah, he just finished down in 13th. Ahead of Kimi Raikkonen, though, who had just as bad a race, I think. But for, for Vettel, I mean... You know, he's now within three penalty points of a race ban on his um, FIA super license. So, you know, I guess, as I said at the top of the podcast, um, a changing of the guard possibly now at Ferrari, where Leclerc has won two races. He's had three pole positions this year. Seb has just had a litany of errors. What does the future look like? I guess, you know, I mean... The retirement talk isn't really picking up or anything. You know, Seb could easily race on next year, but to what extent, you know, to the same extent as it is this year, where, you know, he keeps making errors and he's just not really there, whilst Leclerc's just been building momentum consistently. You know, at the start of the year, we're like, oh, you know, at least Seb is doing better in the races than Leclerc is, but even now, that's not the case. You know, Leclerc's had two perfect races you know, two wins from two pole positions, and what's Seb's answer to that, so we're just going to have to see how it pans out over the rest of the season, but even internally, this is where, you know, maybe engineers and all that sort of jazz, the people start gravitating towards Leclerc side of the garage, because they know that there's guaranteed success, or more likely, um, you know, there's more likely a chance for success over there than there is with Vettel who um, keeps making all these mistakes so yeah that's going to be a very intriguing narrative for the rest of the season and you know I do feel for Seb I hope that he can bounce back because we were supposed to have this epic battle between him and Lewis Hamilton for five world championships you know who could win five world championships last year which didn't happen, unfortunately, because, you know, second half of the season, Seb just capitulated, Ferrari capitulated, and then this year, the title tilt never really got off the ground for them, so, you know, it's really sad in that regard, but I guess from next year, if it's Leclerc who's going to mount the challenge, then I hope that, yeah, that that 
good enough, you know, it doesn't matter if Seb does or not, but, you know, Seb's legacy, I guess, in Formula One may come under scrutiny from some parties as a result of, as a result of, you know, his time at Ferrari, you know, because as well as Ferrari just not being there or making mistakes, not having the best car, there is some onus on Seb as well to deliver and there have been many key moments, many crucial races where he just has made mistakes himself and as a result that's what's cost them from being in championship contention, more so, you know, last year and the year before I would say. Uh, mentioned Kimi Raikkonen before as well and um, very, very um, unfortunately bad race for him too, so ended up having to start from the pit lane because of a um, complete engine change that he had to take care of after qualifying when he crashed. And, um, you know, in the pit lane as well, they put the wrong tyres on the car. So because he was in Q3, he had to start the race on the tyres that he set his fastest lap on in Q2 on. But, you know, they put the wrong tyres on at the start of the race and he copped a penalty because of that. Ended up finishing well outside the top 10 along with his former teammate there in Seb so not a great weekend for him tell you who did have a good weekend though was his teammate Antonio Giovinazzi who finished in the points at home so we remember last time out it was an unfortunate crash for him at the end of the Belgian Grand Prix at Puan missed out on points there so a career best result of ninth for Giovinazzi on this occasion I guess vindicated that and to do it on home soil too, so I can't even remember when the last time an Italian driver finished in the points in Formula 1. It definitely would not have been Jano Trulli racing for Caterham. <laughs> not at all, or Caterham or Lotus, whatever they were called back then. So yeah, good on Giovinazzi for that result. Best result also for the Renaults as well for the season. P4 for Daniel Ricciardo, P5 for the Hulkenberg. Nico Hulkenberg, not the Hulkenberg. He is the Hulk, but not the Hulkenberg. <laughs> um, P5 for Nico Hulkenberg. Great result for those guys. And they ran largely a, a lonely race, you can say. So, you know, it was on pace that they were up there. Um, it wasn't the same story for their rivals in the midfield, which was McLaren. So they were hurt by an unsafe release retirement for Carlos Saints because... Loose wheel uh, came out of the pits and the wheel fell off, so that just is not ideal in any circumstances. And you know the team, you know, doesn't look good on the team either in the pits. So um, yeah, that was them. Lando Norris, who you know, I just can't get my head around how cool this guy is. <laughs> it just makes me laugh I'm, I don't know I'm almost turning into a big Lando fanboy but um, he also had a awesome tribute helmet over the weekend to Valentino Rossi who is another person I'm a big fanboy of if you don't already know <laughs> so yeah uh, Lando Norris sporting a tribute helmet to Valentino Rossi and sporting that bucket hat which I need to get my hands on one of those now and if I can even get Lando to sign it that would be something um wearing that bucket hat all weekend and unfortunately for Lando he had a power unit penalty coming into the weekend and um really couldn't do much starting from the back of the grid but he was able to finish um you know 
he was able to bag a few points. Um, now I've forgotten already if he did or not. Bloody hell. Yeah, he bagged a point. He was 10th. I thought he finished 8th or something, but um, no, he finished in 10th and was able to bag a point. So good on Lando for that, and as well as wearing that um, Valentino Rossi hat too. It's just, it looks so silly, but f I don't care. <laughs> um, great result there, just to be able to get a point, but Renault taking a big chunk out of their lead that McLaren had in fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Also with a power unit penalty was Max Verstappen, starting from the rear, coming back to finish eighth behind Sergio Perez. So good result for him, I guess, given the circumstances. I mean, now that we've got those penalties out of the way and those high-speed tracks out of the way too, we could possibly see Red Bull back up in the mix. Singapore will be a good circuit for them, as will Japan. But um, what really was more intriguing over the weekend in the narrative of Max Verstappen was the war of words between he and Nico Rosberg. So Nico Rosberg doing a variety of stuff now that he's uh, got all this free time on his hands in retirement. Um, one of those, as well as being a pundit or trying to be a pundit sometimes, um, he has his own YouTube channel, which he does these videos for. And, you know, he said something about Verstappen, which Verstappen wasn't too happy about. And Max has basically come out and, um, you know, this is a very, very good insult. <laughs> I mean, not good for Nico, but yeah, it's it's quite hilarious. He's basically labelled Rosberg the new Jacques Villeneuve because we know that Jacques Villeneuve is a very outspoken character and has a lot of rubbish that comes out of his mouth most of the time. And um, Max has likened old Nico Rosberg to, to Villeneuve, so I can see the merit in that totally. Sometimes it is just... You know, whether Rosberg is just doing it for likes and um, clickbait sort of things, you know, like most YouTubers that are up there are kind of like. Um, I can understand where Max's opinion is coming from in that instance. So, But then again, Max has had a really good year this year, two wins under his belt. You know, you wouldn't have thought that at the start of the year with the Honda Power unit, but um, yeah. Uh, so Max has had a very good year, you could say, in um, as an understatement. His teammate, though, Alexander Albon, involved in a few battles throughout the race. He was penalised as well for cutting a corner on Kevin Magnussen. Still ended up coming home and finishing in the points, nonetheless. So, you know, Red Bulls, I guess these were going to be the toughest two races for them. Um, toughest two races for them all year. And they've come out and had some decent results, point scoring results, apart from Verstappen's retirement um, in the previous race in Belgium. So, you know, same for Albon. The test is going to come next time out in Singapore, which should be a Red Bull circuit. You know, I, I guess the expectation is there for him. But as I said, when he was announced as um, the replacement for Pierre Gasly, that We've got to be a bit cautious as well, given that he's a rookie driver, but um, a safe pair of hands is Albon. So he done, he's done really well over the weekend um, in Monza. So great result for Red Bull. And yeah, that pretty much sums it all up there. So, you know, quick recap of the standings, I guess. 63-point lead for Hamilton over Bottas. It's 154 points Mercedes over Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. 
Leclerc has overtaken um, Vettel now for P4 in the championship, and only three points ahead of Leclerc there is um, Verstappen. So could be an exciting finish to the year. I mean, we all thought that Verstappen could come back and uh, overtake Bottas for second, but, you know, um, two good races for Bottas, I guess, um, and two sort of average races for Verstappen has put the Dutchman behind, but, you know, still quite a few races to go. Leclerc's not too far behind, so as I said, if Ferrari can pass that litmus test that is uh, Singapore and can get some good results there, then Leclerc's totally in the mix as well to fight for P2 in the championship, provided that Bottas is sort of in the similar zone as Verstappen and um, Leclerc as well. So we'll see how that one pans out. In the midfield, Carlos Sainz still seven points behind Pierre Gasly. Gasly, it's interesting to see a Toro Rosso driver so high up in the standings. But, you know, I guess that's his results were in a Red Bull at the start of the year. So he's up there. Ricardo and Albon now moving on up there too. You'd think that Albon would overtake them all given that he's in a Red Bull. But those um, points crucially scored by Daniel Ricardo, I guess, giving him a good boost and 18 points between... Um, McLaren and Renault so another race like that for Renault you'd think that um, they'd overtake McLaren and that's why I guess it's important for McLaren to come back and um, make sure that they don't let Renault through which you know will vindicate a pretty good year for them. Torosso still ahead of Racing Point, Alfa Romeo and Haas. Haas as we learned yesterday have um, parted ways with their title sponsor, so effective immediately, the partnership between Rich Energy and Haas F1 is no longer, so they're going to keep the same livery though, a Haas, so that was um, good to hear, because the black and gold is always a very popular livery in um, in Formula 1, but yeah, you know, is it going to be a new um, title sponsor they're going to be on the search for, or you know, they're going to run the car without a title sponsor, as they did in their first two seasons in F1. We'll just have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, that was, I guess, the big thing about <laughs> Haas, um, given that their results are still pretty poor and um, the dramas with Rich Energy, you know, they've had more sort of off-track. Well, not really more, but they've just had a combination of on-track and off-track dramas this year, which have really hampered them. Um, and we thought that they'd be getting better and better. But, you know, these things happen. So that's the standings. That's uh, how it all looks at the moment. So I wanted to actually talk a little bit about what happened during qualifying um, ahead of the Italian Grand Prix and, you know, just take the opportunity to discuss what, you know, Formula One, Ross Braun, um, those guys have been possibly talking about making some format changes um, going into the future and what had happened is basically you know the drivers were briefed pre-qualifying about queuing up for a slipstream um you know and after what happened in formula three as well and you know of course formula three over the weekend we had a nasty crash for alex peroni the aussie driver thankfully not severely injured or anything he um just got released from hospital uh today i read um online so good for him um, for that but yeah you know about queuing up for a slipstream and how it basically just backs the pack up no one can go it's just a whole cluster of guys just all queued up there doing nothing so what had happened is in Q3 Kimi Raikkonen crashed out brought out the red flag and then it was after the restart that everyone 
backed each other up trying to um get behind making sure that they were not the first one ahead you know the guy who's in the front he's not going to get a slipstream so it's better being behind um everyone you know so train of cars no one really wanted to go but what it did is meant that the timer ran out and they all missed out on setting a second fastest lap <laughs> it was pretty laughable you know i mean I guess if you were sitting there trackside, you paid good money to be in the grandstand or general admission to, to watch qualifying, you would have wanted your money back because there was nothing that happened. It was an anticlimax. But, you know, like anything, you tell little children not to do something, they're going to do it. You know, and that's what F1 drivers are like as well most of the time. So, you know, they were briefed not to do it. They still did it. It was farcical, the scenes. I thought kind of laughable, even though we shouldn't be laughing at these sort of things. Um, and that's where, you know, even for Sebastian Vettel, missing out on um, setting a second fastest lap that could have potentially got him on the front row because his teammate uh, Leclerc didn't play ball and give him the slipstream. So, you know, if the FIA, the stewards and everything have um, briefed the drivers on this, they know that it's an issue that not to do it. I guess the only way to stop it is if there's going to be some kind of penalties enforced. And I guess there was three drivers that were reprimanded in the end by Michael Massey. And so no real penalties handed out. But if they ban this or, you know, do some hand out some kind of penalties, maybe drivers might think twice about actually going ahead with something like that. Or, or as you know, I've taken the opportunity, perfect timing, to talk about maybe a change in formatting um, for qualifying. So Ross Braun, uh, you know, ahead of their 2021 vision for Formula One, said that, you know, I guess we should look at um, experimenting with a race weekend. How to experiment with a race weekend? Well, I'm not a big, I'm not completely convinced that we need to make many changes as it is to, to the structure. You know, the races are great the normal Grand Prix qualifying as well we tried changing qualifying a few years ago didn't do go so well the elimination qualifying um, that they had this um, three-phase knockout qualifying works quite fine but I guess what I would do to it and I've written about this I'll write I'll put the link of the article in the um, the notes for this show as well um, once it's uploaded um, is that why not introduce a top 10 shootout uh, like they have in supercars uh, at select races. So let's choose, say, Spa, Monza, because they're circuits that this slipstreaming thing is a big deal. Why not Monaco, uh, Silverstone maybe, because it's a jewel in the crown race. Monaco and Singapore, because they're street circuits, a lot more intense, you know, um, and, you know, even short shorter tracks like Brazil and Austria, Zandvoort even next year. Um, and the way it would work is that you have your normal Q1, Q2, then Q, the top 10 that are supposed to progress to Q3 all take part in a one-lap shootout. So starting from the 10th fastest driver at the end of Q3, uh, sorry, Q2, um, they go out first, do their lap, then it's all counting down all the way to the fastest driver from Q2. So what happens in that time is that, you know, track can easily vary. There could be variations in track temperature, conditions, you know, a lot of variables that could change qualifying that could be very, um, we could see a lot of mixed results in qualifying, which would be, you know, the aim of what this is all about and also what 
Ross Braun and the gang want to do as far as mixing up the grid. You know, I'm not a big fan of having qualifying races or reverse grid races, whatever has been tossed up in the past, but the possibility of a shootout, you know, at select races, of course, like they do in the um, in supercars. They do it at some of their best events like Bathurst and, and the like. And I guess from a spectacle point of view as well, it would be such a great spectacle to have, you know, one car, one driver with a track to themselves if it's like a track like Monza, which is so historic, Monaco as well, just seeing puts all that emphasis on the one driver and also one lap too that they can't actually make a mistake it's going to be a lot more intense perhaps than some of the qualifying sessions that sort of fizzle out at the end or you know offer a damp squib of a result if you do it at monaco something like this it also prevents you know what happened a few years ago with nico rosberg there um, michael schumacher did the same thing as well you guys will know the incident i'm talking about so it I guess, you know, there's nothing, you, some might think it's a band-aid solution, you know, it's either, you know, you come down hard on the slipstreaming thing altogether, I reckon, you know, it's not going to be something you're going to stop, but why not, you know, just add this in there to make qualifying a bit more exciting, it's not going to be artificial as far as the order is concerned, it'll mix it up a little bit, but at the same way, at the same time, you know, the cream always rises to the top, and we're going to see that, but it also puts the spotlight back on the driver, and that's, I think, the important thing where, you know, we all talk about how we want to see more of the drivers, the drivers need to be seen as gladiators, what can the sport do to do, what can the sport do to make that a reality, and I think, you know, some of the best scenes in motorsport for me, like some of the best clips that you can watch on repeat online or you know um, on your on youtube or something are just single laps that people have done you know racing drivers have done during qualifying you know you think about Ayrton Senna's 1988 lap at Monaco you know just the onboard of that how intense it was just him and the racetrack you know trying to set the fastest lap Scott McLaughlin doing his pole lap for Bathurst um, in 2017 another wild wild lap and again it was just him alone with a track as fearsome as Bathurst so that's sort of along the lines of thinking that I had when I came up with this idea um, not I didn't come up with it I didn't coin it but you know my you know suggestion that F1 should probably look at something like that you know because it is a change of course from the status quo it doesn't completely eliminate the the qualifying format that we've got at the moment so every other race then can still have the normal format as they do in supercars too so not every single um, race they do the top 10 shootout so and it might be a nice way to jumble up the grid who knows that's just my two cents worth on it <laughs> that's just my two cents on it um so you know i'd love to hear back you know if anyone has any feedback in regards to that just drop a line um what would you guys do i'm always keen to see and hear what other people think as well what they would like to do and who knows you know maybe ross braun might turn around and do something like this they might turn around and announce that they're going to introduce a top 10 shootout next year who knows but anyway so yeah you know i totally think that the f1 
format, the weekend format is fine. If you want, you know, you could probably shorten practice or something if cost-cutting is a big thing that they're talking about. But also with the shootout, you know, I did look long and hard at what F1's done in the past with um, formats for qualifying and, you know, the um, one-lap qualifying that they had, the Super Pole, whatever they called it, back in the early 2000s. I guess doing it, if you went back to doing it like that, it would be a bit boring, you know, one car at a time across up and down the grid. Whereas I think if you want it still condensed into that um, one hour, then you can still do it, you know, Q1, Q2, and then you have your... um, top 10 shootout where one driver goes out at a time to do that one lap so you're not going to be losing any time or making it a lot more boring where you know there's not much track action happening at least the fans will still get the action on the track in the early parts of qualifying through your q1 and q2 and then q3 what was traditionally q3 um, becoming the shootout you'll get that one driver go out at a time do their lap go back in it's it's totally cool uh, and when i've seen it in person whether it's at um bathurst um or you know the bathurst 12 hour for the gt cars as well i think it's pretty exciting it keeps everyone in, on edge if you're listening into the radio commentary track side as well or watching the big screens that they have track side it's it's quite easy to follow so something i hope that others can get behind too if um it does become a reality so yeah so that's it for the uh, racing component i guess for this week um i want to do hit the globe again to look at what's happening in other sports around the world um the stuff that i pay attention to obviously (laughs) um i know there's there's always something going on everywhere and you know often people tell me is there ever a time where you don't do anything to do with sports well yeah there is plenty of time i do do that you know i just went on a on a I went on a road trip for nine days well part of it was you know also going to tail and bend and seeing the v8 supercars but a lot of it wasn't um going to gigs as well and um hanging out with people yeah there is a lot i do that does not involve um that does not involve sports so There you go. Let's talk about, though, some other sports. Cricket, the Ashes. So um, good to see Australia having retained the urn, winning the fourth test match. And we've got one to go, so that starts tonight. Um, And the Aussies firmly with their sights on winning that test match and actually winning the series outright. So, you know, given that Australia currently held the Ashes because they won the last series, which was played here... Um, the fact that they were, you know, even if they drew the series over there in England this time, they would still retain the Ashes, you know, on virtue of the fact that they already had them. So, but we want to, or Australia want to um, really dig it in over there and actually win it outright, um, which is good, a good mentality to have. Good to see Steve Smith in such fine form, you know. A lot's been said, a lot's been discussed um, in the last 12 months, obviously, since what happened in Cape Town and the bans that he copped but you know ever since he's come back he's really made a a statement on why you know he really is and he's rated the number one test batsman again in the world you know in the rankings so he's really made a statement about it and it just feels like he's come back a better player by having that one year off so that's been really good to see so it'll be nice to get that final test um, wrapped up over there 
playing in London at the Oval. If they can win, that would be that would be amazing. So yeah, good luck to them tonight playing over there. AFL. So the final started, of course, last week. Um, two teams already through to the prelims, which is uh, Collingwood and Richmond. So the team, two teams that. Um, from the start of the year, I had the tip on to make the grand final. It would be pretty big to have those two teams in the grand final, actually, given that they're two very old clubs with um, rusted on supporters, and particularly for Victoria, for Melbourne as well. You know, two really huge teams, and I can't remember the time, the last time where we had two Melbourne-based teams in the grand final together. Um, there's always been a team from interstate that's contested it, so. To have those two, you know, we want to call them foundation teams or whatever, you know, they've been around for a long time. Those two teams in the grand final, I think it would be absolutely mega. A lot of injury concern, though, for Collingwood, no, which is no good. Richmond, though, has to have this, this is what they've been building towards all year. So, you know, you'd probably, if those two teams make it, you could have the early tip on Richmond getting the job done. But, you know, Collingwood have been pretty gritty as well throughout the year so wouldn't be surprised to see them um you know beat those demons from last year and come through to win the whole comp um which would be good for them too uh last time they won was what 2010 probably be corrected on that anyway i don't remember these things very well uh so two elimination games or you know semi-finals they call them yeah um, between uh, Brisbane and GWS this weekend and Geelong facing off against the Eagles. Geelong, again, they'll be filthy that um, obviously they had the home final against Collingwood last week, but their home game was played at the MCG. Happening again this time, so instead of playing in Geelong, just for numbers, they're having to play West Coast at the G and, you know, West Coast do quite well at the MCG. So perhaps um, it'll be a straight sets loss for Geelong. They'll be out at the end of the weekend. And between Brisbane and GWS, perhaps Brisbane might sneak through. It's a hard one to pick. GWS looking pretty strong too. I know a lot of people are going to be filthy about um, Toby Green being let off Um for what he did over the weekend against the Bulldogs and Marcus Bontempelli. All, all i got to say in regards to that is that in the NRL, that sort of thing usually cops you a, a one-week off or something, you know, a ban. You know, I know Josh Maguire for the Cowboys, you know, last a while before they gave him a ban, but, you know, other players for doing what they call a facial um, or eye gouging, that sort of thing, they um, cop a ban, but um, Green was able to get off with a bit of a, f with just a fine, so, you know, he still gets to play this week in what is a elimination game for those guys, so there you go for that. But yeah, let's just say, for the sake of the tips, uh, I think West Coast and GWS will get through, um, and then, yeah, you know, against Richmond and Collingwood um, it should be those two teams that make it to the finals so if I get through this month of September and um, those two teams make it to the finals then that'll be really good I'll be really pleased with that even though I didn't take part in any footy tipping competitions this year on the other hand I did take part in the NRL tipping competition didn't do too well my tips were pretty bad this year it just shows to goes to show you how close the competition is and on any given day, anyone can win, so that's always a good thing. Didn't do too well in Supercoach either. I uh, was playing the bottom eight, play in a 
play in their own playoffs with a minor premiership. I was in there. I finished like just outside the top eight too. So I think I was second in the minor premiership, uh, made it to the final last week and got beaten. So that's how that one ended. But um, their top eight is secure. They're playing the first lot of finals this weekend too. So Storm versus the Raiders. Um, it was a good game last week um, against the Cowboys, which I went along to. Um, good to see the Cowboys play with a bit of heart in the final um, 40 minutes. Expecting big things from them next year, hopefully. So Canberra Raiders, Melbourne Storm playing here at Amy Park. Raiders did knock off the Storm there a few weeks ago, so that'll be interesting to see if the Storm can rebound there. Parramatta Eels versus the Broncos. Um, uh, the Manly, Manly Seagulls <laughs> and Cronulla playing. And then, of course, tomorrow night, the big game, the Sydney Roosters versus the South Sydney Rabbitohs, which... Last week, these two teams played each other. South Sydney prevailed, but I guess Sydney, um, the Roosters were resting a lot of key players and they'll be back for this game. Whereas um, for uh, the Rabbitohs, they're going to be missing a few key players due to injury and suspension. So my tips, I guess, for, for the week one of the NRL finals. So starting off with those two teams, um, I reckon Sydney will get through. They've been odds-on favourites for the Premiership all season, even though they um, were beaten by South Sydney in both of their home and away fixtures this year and um, didn't finish as minor premiers. So, you know, they've been solid. They're going to come good at this time of year. So I reckon Sydney will get over the Rabbitohs. Uh, but at least the Rabbits will get a second chance to, to come back um, and potentially play the Storm in the other game. So that's, I reckon, Melbourne Storm will get through against Canberra. Canberra just looking a bit shaky at this time of year, unfortunately. Um, they've been solid all year, but, you know, they looking a bit shaky at this time of year, which is not good. But they also, if they lose, they'll get a second chance as well um, playing... Um, against either, well, they'll play against, um, best case scenario, they can play the Roosters um, if they survive the semi-finals, which will be against one of these four teams. So Eels and Broncos. Broncos, I don't think, well, it's a Parramatta home game, first of all, at that new stadium of theirs. Um, is They've been, not invincible, but they've been pretty strong there. So Broncos, they don't have a halves combination that can really win for them or take them deep into the finals so I reckon Parramatta will get the job done but they you know will only get an extra week in the competition whilst the more intriguing game I think will be Cronulla versus Manly and you know playing at Lotto Land in Manly of course despite that asbestos scare they had Manly looking very depleted um, injuries suspensions they're missing a lot of key players like Tom Trebojevic uh, Marty Tapao um Curtis Sirenin, you know, just you can read the names like a rap sheet that they're missing for this weekend. So, you know, whereas Cronulla, they could be a, a sneaky one here to get through. So, of course, the loser of the, those two games between Para and Brisbane and um, Manly and Cronulla, they're going to be gone. That That's it for them. So, you know, let's say Storm Roosters, uh, Parramatta, and this was a tough one, but I'm going to say Cronulla will sneak through. I think they've got a more solid list and um, if they execute, they can get the job done, even though they haven't won a game at um, Brookvale Oval for quite some time. So that's my two cents worth on the footy. 
rugby um, it's all coming to an end which means we're getting close to summer the sun's going to come back out and um, we're going to party like it's 1995 I don't know what we're going to do we'll see so yeah that's about it for this week got some uh, more racing on this weekend hope you guys get to tune in uh, MotoGP in Mizano home race for Valentino Rossi and the V8 supercars in Pukekohe across the ditch so the final race before the Enduro Cup kicks off and the um, Bathurst 1000 actually that's going to be starting the Enduro Cup this year Interesting to hear as well that um, David Reynolds has signed on for Erebus Motorsport on a landmark 10-year deal. You know, you, it's almost an a- April Fool's type headline reading that, but he's got a 10-year contract with Erebus, so he's going to be racing with them until he's 44, which isn't a bad thing. But good on them for doing that. Um, Reynolds is a real character, and um, you know, he and Erebus are a great fit. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot more fun to come out of that partnership. Um, over the next few years and hopefully they can have some success too in the form of some championships and some more Bathurst victories but yeah but that wraps it up then guys this week thank you for tuning in um I'll put the uh link to that article in the notes as well for you guys to have a read of my thoughts in regards to qualifying and um some of the changes that they could make in regards to having a top 10 shootout but Otherwise, everyone stay safe, enjoy your weekend, we'll be back next week to preview the Singapore Grand Prix, and until then, just uh, just have fun. Ciao.